we're preparing our hearts to receive God's message uh, through uh, Scripture, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister." Please be seated and pray with me. Lord, uh, God, we thank you that you are good, Father. Lord, thank you that you desire to reconcile all things to yourself. Father, I pray that you would help us reconcile uh, to our neighbors, Lord, to those in our community and beyond. Lord, thank you for reconciling us to you through the blood of Christ. God, uh, pray that this would uh, be a weekend where we could reflect on your goodness and the dignity and honor that you've given to all people. Lord, pray right now that you would speak through Ryan. God, give him your words and your thoughts, and pray that they would uh, permeate our hearts. And pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. This is our third week in the series of Colossians we've been preaching through. We've just called this series new, because this theme that we keep seeing as we have delved into the book of Colossians is that Jesus has come to make us new, to give a new spiritual reign in our hearts, to build a new kingdom through his people, uh, because he's come to make all things new. So let me ask you this as we get into this text this morning. Have you ever stood next to a a mountain before, or maybe a a skyscraper? You stand there at the base of it, at the foot of it, and you you look up, and if you're anything like me, you're kind of like overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of it. That feeling that you get, you feel a little bit more to scale in those moments. This passage that we're looking at today is, is a lot like a mountain. There's no way that I could go into the depth of everything that this has to teach us this morning. In some ways, I feel like I'm going to be scratching the surface, but this, this is probably the most dense scripture about Jesus in the entire Bible. And since we're looking at it today, I want to encourage you to, to delve into it a little bit more yourself uh, this week. So I've, I've kind of I've, I've aimed this text at, at one big idea that I want to just focus on that I think permeates through this entire eight verses, and it's this. Jesus made everything, and everything is made for Jesus. Would you say that with me? Jesus made everything, and everything is made for Jesus. We're, we're going to be asking this question uh, of ourselves, who, who is Jesus? Because every world religion and every person on the face of the planet has an answer for who is Jesus, whether they 
know it or not. Now, now only those that are Christians, which the word literally means little Christs, only those that are Christians would say that he and the Father are one. Today we've got to honestly answer that question, who is Jesus? I mean, if my life was telling a story, where would Jesus be in the plot? Is he just a supporting actor? Or maybe he's just the director who's disengaged from, from the story? Or is he the writer, the director, and leading actor in the story that we're in? We've got to answer that question. So I want to make just two big points and, and, and a few sub-points under that. And the, the two points are this. really have to do with creation and new creation. We see this, this idea of Jesus creating everything and creating new people and, uh, and making all things and holding all things together. We see it running through this. So let's delve into those first three verses. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. If you've got a Bible, open up to those, please. Creation. Jesus made and holds everything together. Let me remind you of what the first three verses say. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, th this, this word image is a, is a key word that you should underline in your Bible if you're, if you're tracking along here. The, the word for that is the same word that we get the word icon from. So, you know, I had this college roommate that, that had tons of bumper stickers on their car. I mean, just tons of, I mean, you couldn't even see, like, out the back window, he had so many bumper stickers on his car. And basically what he was telling everybody that drove behind him is, hey, here's who I am, and here's who I'm about. Now, if you've got a ton of bumper stickers on your car, that's awesome. Everybody knows who you are and what you're about. It's great. You're just telling the world that. Th that was Paul, my roommate, and... Um, and, you know, it, it had anything from his family's vacation spots to the top brands that, that he supported to, you know, to, you know, going on now his family and, and how many little stick figures you see on the back of the car. You, you get to know a lot about a person by looking at their bumper stickers, right? Now, you know, as a kid, you know, I don't have a lot of bumper stickers on my truck, but, but as a kid, you know, I was branded for sure. Still am now, we all are. I literally had at one point when I was nine years old, the barber carve a Nike check in the back of my head. I kid you not. I was branded. I want everybody to know that, that even if I didn't have Nikes, I liked the brand. Even though I couldn't afford them, I, I liked them. I dug them. And so, you know, now, you know, the brands that we follow, the icons that we follow are all around us. This is why marketing exists from clothing to uh, electronics to restaurants. And now, the things that I value are just things that last, things that stand the test of time, classic things that, that, that have stood the test of time. We know what we want and we like what we want, but why are we this way? Because we've been chasing an image since the beginning of time. We, we were born chasing an image, trying to get back to an image. And every other sub-image of that image 
is what we try to fit into that hole that we've been chasing. We've been chasing the image of God, church. We've been made in his image. We've been chasing it since the beginning of time. We've been trying to get back to the image that we were made in. So let's, let's look at this idea of design. This, this, this idea that Jesus created all things and all things hold together in him. This is the way that things are supposed to be. So first let's look at this. The idea that, that our relationship with God is whole because he made us. This is the way he designed us to live. Jesus created the world. He, he didn't just come on the scene uh, in Mary's womb. He's always existed. Jesus who came to be with us, the one who we were fashioned to reflect, he's the firstborn of creation, the scriptures say. Now, now this doesn't mean that Jesus had to be created. There are some world religions that believe that, such as my friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses that I talk with in my, in my cul-de-sac when they come through. They, they tried to convince me that Jesus was just the top of God's creation. That's not what the Bible says. It says he's the firstborn of creation, meaning that he has all of the rights like a firstborn son does. So you get this idea of submission, that Jesus submits to the Father, but he's not subordinate to the Father. See, there's a difference there. He and the Father are one. He's the Son of the King. Everything that belongs to God is His. God has entrusted everything to Him, this kingdom. And that's what this means, in that He created everything we see and cannot see, and everything holds together in the same way. So, what that means is that your body would scatter into billions and billions of molecules if not for Jesus holding you together. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning and thank God for cohesively holding my life together. Maybe, maybe I should more. So everyone on the face of the earth is being held together. Everything on the face of the earth is being held together. Whether you want to acknowledge that or not, that, that theologically that's called this idea of common grace. Some of us acknowledge it frequently, others of us don't. People that believe in Jesus and they follow him, they're probably more prone to acknowledge it. People that don't follow Jesus probably don't. But everything's being held together by Jesus, whether you want to recognize and acknowledge that or not. Let me just put some perspective on this idea of Jesus as being the creator. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is how many miles? Anybody know? Some kids got this. I know you do. How many miles? There you go, Patrick Choi. I can't even see you, but I know that's you. 93 million miles from the earth to the sun. 93 million miles. So let's just say for scale that that 93 million miles represented one sheet of paper, okay? So, so we got that, one, 93 million miles, it's a lot right here. The, 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 the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of these sheets of paper 70 feet high. Now, the, the ceiling of this gym is probably, I don't know, 35 or 40 feet tall. So much higher than the ceiling of this gym would be the distance between the earth and the nearest star. Now, the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high, from here to Kentucky. That's how far it would be. A long way, yet the galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust in the whole universe that Jesus Christ holds together by the word of his power. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. By the word of his power, he holds it all together. He upholds it. In other words, it requires no effort for God to hold everything up, for Jesus to hold everything up. His words hold everything that your mind can imagine together and far more than your mind can imagine. Not only that, but he's designed us to be in relationship with other people because we image God together. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what, what happens in creation is that God fashions us out of his image. We reflect him, not only in the way that we look with Jesus, but also in the way that we relate to one another. Man could not grasp his image alone. Woman could not grasp his image alone. He needed both to reflect who he was to the world. Jesus had himself in mind when he made us. Think about this, his appearance, his attributes, his communicable attributes, those attributes that he shares with us, things like love and justice and mercy. Now, we don't, we don't experience those the same, to the same fullness that Jesus has those. But then there are these other attributes that we don't share, like omnipresence. We're not everywhere all the time. Omnipotence, we don't have all the power in the world. Or omniscience, we don't know everything that he knows. He knows everything. But he's made us to reflect him in everything that we are and everything that we do. And relationship, in the garden, relationship with God and others is whole. And the Bible has this, this beautiful word to describe what wholeness in his creation is. It's this word shalom, which in the, the English we would translate it as, as peace. And, and it's this idea not of just the absence of conflict, but about the presence of, of peace in between the relationship between all of God's creation. Shalom. But that is obviously not what we experience today. I want you to remember that word peace because Jesus comes back to talk about that in Colossians chapter 1, that idea of shalom. What we experience today, the way that things are, is this sense of brokenness in our relationship with God and we find it difficult to connect with Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He's the image of the invisible God, yes, so what? How's that going to help me pay my mortgage? You know, we, we, we just, we think, why does this really matter? These verses seem so outlandish. How can they not connect in my heart? They seem so far away. And it, it, it gives us distance between our creator, the one that we're fashioned and imaged after, and what we experience. And it, it doesn't only impact the way that we relate to God. It also impacts the way that we relate to each other's distance that we feel. I mean, think about Genesis chapter 3 and 4. I don't have time to delve into this today, but I'm going to summarize it for you. We see this dramatic shift from design in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world through temptation with Adam and Eve. You know the story. And, but, but then it doesn't stop there. They have these two sons, Cain and Abel. So, so picture this. At this time in the history of the world, there are four people on the face of the planet. Four people. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. And uh, 
one brother gets jealous with the other brother's offering and, and how God responds to that. And, and he, he fatally responds to his brother and Cain takes Abel's life. That is how the first family went. Now, what, what the Lord asks when this happens strikes me as something significant. He says, you know, basically what happened? And, and all of a sudden, Cain gets defensive and he says, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, it's every man for himself out here. Survival of the fittest, we've got to make this happen. You think that just happens now? This has happened since the beginning of time, and it proves the power of sin in the world that has distorted God's good design. It proves the brokenness of humanity, and we've been living in Cain's shoes ever since, church. Isolated thinking we got to make it happen for ourselves, not belonging to God or one another, looking for peace in all the wrong places. And this is why we find it so difficult to connect with Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. It seems so far away from us. And why is this so? Why do we experience this way? Well, Charles Taylor is this Canadian philosopher, and he sheds light on on why this idea of our broken image and our broken community that we have together uh, is the way it, that it is um, from a philosophical point of view. And he writes this book called The Sources of Self. And he just, I just want to quickly mention two things that he says. He, he talks about the idea of ancient self and modern self. Ancient self, he says, was porous. That's not a word we use often, but it means flexible. It means malleable. Uh, you know, for instance, a thousand years ago and more, our identity was rearranged and shaped around a few things. God, our family, and the context that we live, the places that we lived in, the country that we lived in, the neighborhoods that we lived in. We were porous, movable, formable, shaped by those influence. Everyone was. And our view of self was formed from our surroundings in relation to God and his image in these relationships. But now modern self is what he calls buffeted. It's battered and beat up, and it's always on the defense, which leaves it guarded, protected, and isolated. It says that, that feelings are more real than anything outside of us. It's, it's far more likely to trust self than anything else. It says, I can't be influenced by anything outside of me. And what it ultimately does is take the role of creator in our hearts, because it says this, I'm the one that assigns dignity to myself. It's about what I do, what I'm involved in, and those things, those icons, whatever they are, are what assign dignity to who that I am. Colossians 1.17 says all things hold together in him because he made it all. And he's at the center of it all. And we feel this conflict inside of us because we don't want anyone controlling us because we're buffeted. We're in this place, this posture of defensiveness. And here's why. If you have not, you will at some point in, in your life realize that this is a, a false identity. It's, it's not a true one. And what we do at that juncture when we realize that the defensiveness and the, the make it happenness of our own, creating our own dignity, being our own designers, what you do at that juncture when you realize that it's a dead end defines everything about what you become. 
What, and it's really, the question really is this, what do I do with Jesus? Because that's where he swoops in and says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for your, your self-improvement project that you're on right now. The, the problem is, is even though we want to be able to hold the world together or our own worlds together on our own, we know deep down that we can't because we are, in our essence, very relational creatures. We were made for God and we were made for one another. It's, it's like the church father Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. We're searching for the image, church, in everything that we do. But it's only in him that all things hold together. The modern self that says, maybe isolation will lead to life. Maybe if I'm just by myself and I fend for myself and I make it happen on myself, maybe that'll give me life. Maybe that'll restore the image that I'm hunting for. It never, ever will. And, and what we can now realize is that nothing we can do in this life or nothing that has been done to us in this life can change the core of our identity as relational beings. Life doesn't work without Jesus. Now, now as we think about how we relate to one another and, and the brokenness that exists, uh, I love this quote that, that, that Dr. Martin Luther uh, uh, let me try that again. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. shared in a sermon that he preached, he says this, there are no gradations in the image of God. And when we think about how we relate to one another, we think through a gradient scale. And in, in King's day, it was, it was definitely, there were the slaves and there were the free. There were, there were those that, that got treated less and there were those that got treated more, and it was most of the time based on their skin color or their status in the community. It's saying this, that one image bearer is prized over another. It doesn't just have to be skin color. Maybe your resume looks a certain way. You're a, you're a certain caliber of a professional, a CEO type, and everyone else is just a little lower than you. Maybe it's what your clothing looks like, or your body size is a certain way, or your lifestyle is a certain way. So let me ask you this as we, as we go to our next point here. What image are you chasing today? What is your heart after? That's not a rhetorical question. What image is it that you're chasing? Where are you looking for peace in your life and not finding it, but you keep searching? Where do you think it'll lead you? At its end, if you really get what you want, where will it lead you? How do you tend to think about yourself? Do you, do you think too highly in pride or you, do you think too lowly in shame? Because it's only Jesus, that image that you were fashioned after, that can give you the type of peace that we're chasing. Now, now the question is, how do we get to that? How do we get that peace that exists out there in here? How, how do we get that? Well, well, the Scriptures tell us that, that we were made in the image of, of the first creation, which is Adam. We were made in his image, we reflect him, and he was fashioned after Jesus, but because sin entered the world, that first creation is irreparably broken. And so in Romans chapter 5, the scriptures paint this picture of a better Adam that comes along. One that is not defined by what has happened in this life, not defined by original sin, because he is God himself, he's able to speak into existence a new creation. Now, now that's great that, J, that Jesus is a different creation, but how does that impact us? Well, it just so happens that Jesus came on the scene so that we could experience this new creation. It's what he did. 
So let's keep pressing into Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 here. This idea of new creation is this. Jesus recreates all that's been lost. So, So what happens as we live in this world is that we can become so in touch with the world that we become so out of touch with the Spirit. This, this, this world that Jesus has given us, this reign that He has in this world. So, so you know how it goes. You can quote the latest movie that you watch, but you can't remember a verse in the Bible. You, you can take time off work to go on a trip or to a doctor's appointment, but you can't seem to get into community with others. It, it happens to us quickly. It's a slippery slope that none of us intend to go down, but we often find ourselves there. And before we know it, we're disoriented and even lost as those that follow Jesus. And we find ourselves isolated from the image that we bear, looking for peace. And you'll notice that this theme of where the enemy tends to work in our lives is in places of isolation. When we have put ourselves in a corner away from others, away from accountability, away from, away from the things and the places that Jesus tends to reign in our lives, in these places of isolation. We need to remember one thing, though, about, about life in this world, that, that the work of the Spirit is not contingent upon what is happening in the world. Let me say that again. The work of the Spirit, this new creation that Jesus is birthing, is ushering in through the church, is not contingent upon what is happening in the world. In, in fact, if you look at the history of the church, the times that it experienced the greatest moments of revival were in the worst times because the way that Jesus works and the the work of the Spirit is not contingent upon what's happening in the world because Jesus comes to give us hope in this world through recreating us and this world that we live in and just quickly three things that I notice in this this passage here Uh, Jesus comes to make our new life in the Spirit possible through the cross through the resurrection and through the church that's what he does so let's dig into the cross here What we notice in verses 19 through 23 is that Jesus satisfies wrath, but he also reveals love. Let let me remind you of what the scripture says here. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here's the word, making peace. Making peace peace by the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated and and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds I mean like criminals on death row is what he's saying he is now reconciled in in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable Steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So this letter reveals something that's hard for us to hear. And here it is. Out of, out of our mother's womb, we are enemies of God. As we breathe our first breath in this life, we are diametrically opposed to God. Like, like no matter how many baby contests you want at the fair... You're enemies of God. No matter how cute that smile was or that laugh, you are enemies of God. My heart and even your heart, straight out of the womb, we're all dead set on rebelling against God. Rebelling against His design. Seeking our own way 
to make peace. The scriptures get really explicit here. They say that we were alienated, which means like separated and hostile toward God. Like we wanted not, it wasn't we were just indifferent. We were hostile toward God. And that's all of us. So we're not just indifferent, but hostile in our hearts. And because of this, the Bible says that we have this irreconcilable issue with God. We don't have peace with Him. We're at conflict, in conflict with Him. And peace couldn't be found on this earth. It had to be made. Peace isn't found here. It, it doesn't matter how well things seem to be going. Maybe there's no wars between countries. It doesn't matter how smooth the last family reunion was. Peace cannot be found here. It has to be made in heaven and sent here. You can't manufacture it. It has to be made. So the scriptures say that the cross, Jesus being God in the flesh, was the plan from the beginning of creation to make peace between creator and creation. Jesus was the plan all along. Now, now remember that word, the world like peace, but Jesus came to be a peacemaker. And because of the cross, God has been perfectly just in his judgment against sin. I mean, think about this. He threw the book against sin is what he did on the cross. He threw all of his wrath, everything that he had at the cross, and Jesus just happened to be the object of that. And he caught it all. I mean, think about this. Now Jesus, because he's done this, because he's done this for us, now presents us to our Father, holy and blameless. Book of Hebrews says he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's presenting you, not like, hey, just okay, and he's a pretty good guy. Holy, blameless, words reserved for God alone. That's, that's the way that he's presenting you if you believe in Jesus. Not just like, hey, you had a good year this year. Or, I'm keeping on track with my New Year's resolutions this year. No, holy and blameless forever and only. That's how he presents us when we follow Jesus, when we, when we trust in him. Because of the cross, Jesus is pleading your case before his Father in heaven. And he's never, ever going to stop. And, and, and he's saying much better things about you than what you believe about yourself. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. Because we tend not to live in the reality of forgiveness and grace. Holy blameless. Now, God has given us peace so that we can make peace. We, we see this. One, one, of the, one of our values as a church is reconciled and reconciling which 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 means this that that Jesus came to reconcile us to himself so that we can be reconciled to one another in our world and what that means is is that we don't run away from conflict we don't run away when it gets hard because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to make peace think about this Jesus in in Matthew 5 9 on the Sermon on the Mount he kind of opens with the Beatitudes which are the blessed are the you know, blank. Well, one of them is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And why is that? Because they are sons of God. When we, when we seek to make peace because Jesus lives inside of us, we prove that we are sons of God because that peace came from heaven into our hearts. The second thing that we notice about this, this new creation is this idea of the resurrection. So Colossians 1.18 says this, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the, the cross was not enough. We would not be sitting here worshiping Jesus if he only died on the cross. In fact, there were a couple other guys that day, and we're not worshiping any of them. 
The cross isn't enough. It had to be coupled with the resurrection. Because the resurrection uh, and the cross is what creates a new creation for you and for me. Because think, think, think of it like this. In Genesis 3, the enemy comes up, or, uh, God comes up and he, he, he kind of divvies out the punishment, the consequences of their sin. And he says that the, the, the curse means that there's going to be death in the world. There wasn't death before, but now there's death. The curse of the old creation is death, but the resurrection uproots this idea for us. Death is the end of the old creation. But the new creation operates on a completely different set of presuppositions. So death, think, think, think of it this way for yourself. Death is no longer a possibility for Christians because of the resurrection. It is no longer your outcome. Now your body may go in a grave, but guess what? Jesus is going to give you a new one when he comes back. Your soul will never die if you follow Jesus. Because death is no longer a category for the church, for us, for those that follow Christ and believe in him. You and I have power over death, which is what gives us confidence in this life beyond what we can see and what we experience. Romans 8 just, just shares this. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, like if it does, and we know that the Spirit dwells in us if we place our faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So those who embrace this name of Jesus are being brought to life spiritually right now. This is what God is doing. He's recreating our hearts. But until the day that Jesus returns... We will exist as this colony of heaven on earth, seeking to make peace because he made peace between us and our Father in heaven. And lastly, we see that there's a community of these new creations. Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. So if you think about, the, if you think about these new creatures as one person, one new man in Christ, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. Jesus is the head. So Jesus runs the church. It doesn't matter how big the church is, how gifted the pastors are, how good the preaching is. Jesus is the head of the church. He, he always has been and always will be. And any church that's not run by Jesus is not a church. So, so what that means is that we all make up these parts of his new creations as we bear his image. And, and Paul will talk about this in 1 Corinthians, when he, when he talks about the church as the body of Christ. And he says, you know, you play this part, you play this part, and, and the, the hand can't want to be a foot, and so on and so forth. We are all held together in Jesus, and Jesus leads us as his new people. The church is those who are being made spiritually alive, those living in the grace of the kingdom of heaven that meets earth. And we all get to be made new through the work of Jesus day in and day out. Through the cross, through the resurrection, and in the church. But, but the question is, what will you do with this? This big mountain of truth that we've just unpacked today. What are you, you going to do with this? Will you, will you walk in this promise of new life that we're this new creation that He's made us to be? Will you be reconciled and at peace with God and His creation? Ernest Hemingway wrote a, a short story called uh, the capital of the world. And uh, th this short story 
um, was written in, in Madrid, and the story centers on this guy whose name is Paco. Now, he wants to be this bullfighter, and the story opens as he says something that, that grabs my attention. So at this time, Paco uh, was the most popular name in that area of the world, and there's this old tale about this, this man, Paco's father, that wanted to be reconciled to his son. And uh, they'd been enemies for years, and, and they don't know why they were enemies. Maybe the son was disobedient and disrespectful, or maybe the, the father was maybe abusive and he didn't take care of his children. Some way, somehow, they were at odds with each other, and they hadn't been together in a long time. All we know is that the father wanted to be reconciled to his son. And so it went like this, that the father put an ad in the paper, in the personal section, and it read this, just three short sentences. Paco, meet me in the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Signed, Papa. And that was it. So Tuesday rolls around and the father goes to the hotel and there's just this general ruckus at the hotel that didn't exist before. I mean, there's squad cars all over the place and, and um, the, the dad walks in and he notices nearly 800 Pacos that had shown up to be reconciled to their father. It's, it's kind of a funny story, but the, the spiritual kind of flip side of it is this, is there were that many men that were not reconciled with their fathers. So, so, so where this lands with us is that some of you here today need to hear that God wants to meet you, wants to meet with you and be reconciled to you. And, and the appointment that he set up is right here, right now. In this service, you can meet God and be reconciled to him. And will you receive the love of Jesus that he wants to present you holy and blameless before our Father in heaven? Who do you say Jesus is? Because Jesus made everything, and everything was made for Jesus, especially you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you um, that since the beginning of the time, the beginning of time, you made us to exist for you as your creatures, as your creation, and to reflect you and to make much of you. And, and God, we have been so far from that truth in much of our lives, but the, the, the good news is this, is that you've come near when we couldn't. And I know, Lord, that, um, <clears throat> that some of us are still just, just living at odds with you. We haven't received you. We haven't trusted you with our lives. And Lord, I just pray that we would walk in the power of your new creation as we trust in you and the gift uh, of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.